I mentioned earlier that Psalm 1 is the opening psalm of all the psalms. And that is where we're going to begin this morning with our Old Testament lesson. It is a, the kind of psalm that is a good introduction to all the rest of the psalms. As it says, there are uh, two different ways that uh, a person can live. And as you go through all of the, uh, the wisdom literature, it kind of um, highlights those two ways, the ways of walking with God and the ways of trying to do life without God. So uh, we will begin this morning with Psalm 1, verses 1 through 6, which will be found on page 840 in your pew Bibles. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and God, we thank you for your word that you have given to us. Lord, we pray that you would help us not to take it lightly, but God, that you would help us um, to take it seriously, to listen for what you are saying uh, to your people uh, through all time, but even today. For those of us who have gathered here this morning, we ask that you would help us to hear your word, and that by your word and by your spirit, you would continue to change us into the people that you have made us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 6. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in its season, in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Turning then to our gospel lesson, Matthew, or Mark chapter 9, verses 30 to 37. This is actually part of our Read Scripture lesson for today. So if you do your readings in the morning, you may have already hit this one today. If you do it in the evening, this is what's coming later tonight. Mark chapter 9, verses 30 to 37. They, speaking of Jesus and his disciples, they left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them, and taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You will notice um, 
You'll notice on your bulletin cover, there's this picture that might remind you of the Robert Frost poem, Two Roads Diverge in a Yellow Wood. Um, this is not a yellow wood, but it is two roads diverging. And we come to these decision points in our life where we have to decide which way we're going to go. And that's what we're going to talk about today is how we make that kind of a decision. And before we get into how you make that kind of decision, I just want to relieve you of any sort of impression that comes with decision-making, that everything you do throughout the day has to be a conscious decision. It doesn't. For a lot of the day, we go through just out of habit. And for a lot of things, that's just fine. If you were to sit down in the morning before you put on your socks and your shoes and you were to really agonize over, you know, what should I start with the left one or should I start with the right one? I mean, yesterday I did the left and I don't know. Maybe I need to pray about this. I need to read. Does it say something about this in the Psalms? I don't know. Where, where do I go to decide? You'd be paralyzed for any action in your whole life. So a lot of what we do, we do out of habit, and that is great. However, problematically, a lot of what we should be deciding, we're leaving up to habit. We're leaving up to routine, or we're leaving up to, well, that's what everybody else is doing. We'll just go along with that. Surely somebody thought about it at some point. And so we go through a lot of the decisions we should be making without making the decision. So what we're going to talk about today is um, kind of figuring out the difference there, but then also what that looks like to make those decisions and what it is that we're supposed to include in that decision-making process. And specifically, there's one thing that I think we typically leave out of the decision-making process, even though as Christians, we tend to have more things in there. So for example, you come to a decision you need to make. You decide you need to make this decision. Generally, the first way people will go about making it is they will ask the question, do I want to do that? That's what comes first. That's instinctual. Do I want to do that or not? And, uh, and there's a lot that gets factored in there. Is this going to be hard or easy? Is this going to be comfortable or uncomfortable? Is this going to be uh, something that is profitable, profitable or unprofitable? Is, uh, are there advantages to doing this or not to doing this? And so we kind of weigh all that in, and then we say, okay, at the end of the day, do I want to go forward with this or not? And that is the way that most people will make these kinds of decisions. You factor those things in, and then you ask, okay, so what, what do I want to do? For Christians, of course, there's another layer to that, right? Where now we say, all right, I do want to do this. But then we kind of run it through what we know the Bible to say, and we say, but has God said not to do it? Because <laughs> if I want to do it and he says don't do it, I probably should not do that. On the other hand, we have the, uh, I don't want to do it. Kind of run it through what does the Bible say about it. Oh, but he says, I should do that. That is something I'm supposed to do. Okay, so I've got to factor that in as well now. And uh, so we take those sort of decision-making trees, and we factor all that in, and we say, okay, here's what I'm either going to do or not do. And I think that in and of itself is great, but that leaves out something that I think is critical for Christian decision-making. And for that, we turn to Acts. And this is Acts chapter 21. Verses 17 through 26. And uh, 
we have been talking about Paul approaching Jerusalem and how there are bad things that are going to happen to him when he gets to Jerusalem. He knows that, and he's headed there anyway. And he's coming. He's bringing gifts for the churches there in uh, Jerusalem. Um, and, of course, all at once, things start happening when he gets there. So here, here is his final, like he finally arrives in Jerusalem. This is what we've been sort of waiting for. Starting at verse 17, it says, When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters, um, that is fellow Christians, received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James, and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. Then they said to Paul, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? Okay. Here is the, here's the problem. This is the decision point. What shall we do? That is the question they're asking because uh, in Jerusalem, you have now two groups that are kind of trying to stay civil with each other. Now, Paul had been part of that not being civil, right? When Paul had been in Jerusalem before and uh, <laughs> knew him as Saul, and he was a Pharisee who was going around hunting down Christians to have them thrown in prison or killed. And so there was some uh, Jewish-Christian tension, you might say. Well, since then, uh, they have kind of both been sort of growing up next to each other. There's still been some tension, and it's still pretty uneasy in their relationships. And one of the reasons why is because of what Paul is doing. Paul has gone outside of just the Jewish people, and so it's not a matter of do Jewish people recognize Jesus as the Messiah that's been promised throughout the Old Testament. But now, is, is Jesus the Messiah for all people? And is Jesus being the Messiah, is him being the one who God was going to send to save everyone, is, that, is him being their Savior, does that mean that they can be saved apart from becoming Jewish? Because always in the Old Testament, you had times where people, uh, you think of Rahab, when they came into the Promised Land, and there's Jericho, and they go uh, to Rahab, and she is, she's a Canaanite. She's there in, uh, in the Promised Land before they get in there. So she's in Jericho, and yet she then becomes an Israelite. She becomes part of uh, the people of Israel so much so that she, you find her in uh, the opening chapter of Matthew in Jesus' genealogy. And so you have people who are not Israelites by birth who become Israelites at some point, right? And that sort of that happens throughout. This is the kind of thing that we are much more familiar with today as well. You have somebody uh, who is not an American, and they go through the citizenship process, and they join and they become an American. They weren't born American, but now they're American, and that's how that works. And we're familiar with that sort of thing. What is happening here is Paul is going around to these Gentiles and saying, yes, Jesus is for you too, and you don't have to become Jewish. And so the Jewish people are saying, what do you mean they don't have to become Jewish? Then what was all this about? Why in the world would God have done all the things that he did in the Old Testament? What's all the, uh, the laws of Moses? Why did he give all these laws if they're not having to follow them? 
if God gave these laws, everybody needs to follow them. That's why he gave them. And so those people are not following God. And if they're not following God, then you are taking people away from God. And that's the problem. And that's the same side that Saul, <laughs> that Paul had been on earlier. This is why he was hunting down the Christians. It's because the Christians were the ones who must be taking people away from God by following Jesus. Now, as Christians, we see that a little differently, don't we? That Jesus was the one who came not to abolish the law, he said, but to fulfill it. And so in Jesus, he is the fulfillment of the law. And so there's this way in which um, there are aspects of the law that he got onto the Pharisees about so much because they were doing exactly the letter of the law, and yet they were missing what it was always about. And he really uh, raised the view of the law, made it, this is much more serious than what you thought it was. This is, goes much deeper than you ever thought it went. Um, the end of Matthew, you have the people there, the priests, teachers of the law, etc. who they, they hire Judas to betray Jesus. Remember this? 30 pieces of silver, and he hands Jesus over to them, and then later he feels bad about it. You remember what he does? He goes and he throws the money back in the temple, and do they take it back? They do not. They don't take it back because they say, well, it's blood money. It's against the law of God for us to take blood money and put it into the temple treasury. Well done, guys. Way to follow the law of God by not putting blood money in the treasury of the temple. Oh, but wait. What was it that made it blood money? It was their actions by paying Judas in order to have Jesus killed. That's what made the money unacceptable to put in the temple. And so they, were, they had all these ways of making sure they were following exactly the letter of the law and yet missing it. He says, you could, Jesus talks to the Pharisees at one point. He says, you will tithe on the smallest bit of everything you have. You will, oh, yes, we've got to give one-tenth of everything. And so we'll make sure that if you have just the tiniest bit of anything, you'll find one-tenth of that, this goes to God. And he's like, and yet you're ignoring the matters of actually living righteously in your relationships with God and with other people. But you think because you're following that, you've got it. So Jesus' view of the law was, I mean, he did all the things that the law requires and did them to the point uh, that he was not only following the letter of the law, but he was following the spirit of the law, and he fulfilled all of this. There are many... uh, theologians and biblical scholars who talk about the different aspects of the law and how you had uh, those that were about how it is that we live in right relationship with God and with each other. And those moral aspects, how those get reinforced through Jesus, where he says, yes, this is what it's about, live this way. But then there are others that were about the sacrificial system that no longer apply to us. Why not? Why aren't we taking goats, <laughs> bringing goats here every Sunday morning? We'll sacrifice them. To, why don't we do that? <laughs> they could pray then too, but you're, you, I think you're onto something. Now we can pray straight to God through Jesus because Jesus is the sacrifice, right? He is the one sacrifice that fulfilled all the sacrificial law. And so we don't do that anymore because of Jesus. And the... Um, 
Then there are things like uh, the different clothing laws. Do, do we follow that you can't wear clothes of two different types of fabric anymore? We don't. That's in there. That's in the Old Testament. Why don't we do that? Because these were the things that God had given the people of Israel to mark them out as separate and distinct from all the other peoples. And those laws now go away as we have, um, as we have Jesus sending us to all the world. Not, not all the world coming to become Jewish, but Jesus coming as a Jewish man to then uh, have his message go out to all the world. And so it's a reversal of the direction of things, of how things went in the Old Testament. But this is what it had always been pointing, pointing towards. But this is the issue now. So you have people who are Jewish by birth, who have become followers of Jesus. They are Christians. They are living in Jerusalem. And they get this. They get that there are certain laws that we still follow. He says, thou shalt not murder. That still applies. And yet, there are other ones that don't necessarily apply anymore. So how do you deal with that? And then especially in, in, in regards to how it go, the message goes out to Gentiles, but then also how do we live with that here? And then you have the Jewish people who are still not following Jesus, who are saying, now, wait a second, you all are doing something terrible <laughs> by even telling people what you're telling them. And so if you will look again, the question is, um, we have Jewish people, some Christians, some not. Here we're specifically talking about those who are Christians and saying they have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? Now, is it true what they're charging, that Paul is going around and telling Jewish people you don't have to be circumcised to receive Jesus? It is true. He is telling them that. And so now you have people saying, but it says in the law. So the question is, as Paul comes into Jerusalem, what are we going to do with this? There are people who are Jewish by birth, who have been raised with these uh, laws and these customs. They've received Jesus, but they hear that you're doing something different. What are we going to do with that? Continue in verse 22. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come, so do what we tell you. Here it is. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everyone will know that there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers, we have written to them our decision that they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. The next day, Paul took them in and purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the, date, when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. All right. For most of us, that probably sounded like blah, 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 blah. <laughs> right? This would have been hugely significant for the people in Jerusalem at that time. And the reason it sounds like blah, blah, blah for most of us is we don't understand the system that they were under and why it was that he would be joining with these men in this purification thing and what it meant for them to take a vow and all the temple, everything. These are things that are covered in the Old Testament that they all would have been very, very familiar with. The important part for us is that these are the kinds of things that Paul said you don't have to do anymore. Jesus has fulfilled this. 
And as Christians, you don't have to do that. And yet, and that salvation is not by these things. You don't get saved because you do these things. Um, and yet, he does them here. Do you notice that? He does them. So why is it that Paul is doing what he doesn't have to do? For a lot of us, when we're making those decisions, you know, we get to the point of, do I want to or not? Nah. Does God say I have to do it anyway? In this case, it would be, well, no. No, Jesus fulfilled that. I don't have to do that. That's what Paul's been going around preaching. But there's another message that Paul has also been going around preaching. And here we don't have his decision-making process. We just have the result of it. But if you look at places like uh, Romans 14 or 1 Corinthians 9, you see Paul's decision-making process spelled out. I'm just going to summarize it for you. And that is, this is the extra thing that you've got to have in there. Is doing this good for other people or not? Is it helpful for other people or not? And that has got to factor in. There are very few have-tos in the Bible, right? And so, uh, as Christians, this side of the cross, we look at uh, how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament law, and there are very few things that we have to do. We have to love our neighbors. That's, that's in there. We have to love God. We have to love our neighbors. We have to forgive those who have wronged us. Those are some of the have-tos that are there. And I'm not going to go into that all right now, but if you'd like to talk more about that, those are big topics. Come talk to me. Um, but most of the things aren't have-tos. And so we get to a decision that we're making, and we say, do I want to do it? No. Do I have to? No. End of story. Not going to do it. And what Paul teaches other places, and we see him actually living out here, is that's not the end of the story. Is it's not, do I want to, do I have to? But is it good for others or not? We have to factor our neighbors into the decisions we're making. And that is not normal. <laughs> that is something that, uh, especially as rugged individualists, not only Americans, but West Texans, <laughs> why should I care what he thinks about what I'm doing? I get to decide for me what I do. End of story. But what we see here is that's not the end of the story. And that if we are called to love our neighbors, that we have to take them into consideration, even the decisions we're making. And so you say, uh, for Paul, he comes into this situation. Do I have to join these purification rites? No. Do I want to? Probably not. (laughs) On the other hand, if this is going to be a stumbling block, for people understanding the message of Jesus. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be a part of keeping other people from Jesus. I'm going to do whatever I can. And so he says, in the place, to, the, to the Jew, I became like a Jew. To the, uh, to the Greeks, I became like a Greek in order that I might win people for the gospel. Um, I became all things, all people, that I might win some for Jesus. Uh, so that's the idea. That Paul in his decision-making process, has elevated love for other people above whatever he wants to do. Love for other people above whatever he wants to do. This is the model 
that were given not only by Paul, this is what were given by Jesus when he's at the, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. It's love for us, right? That's why he goes to the cross. Does it seem like he wants to go to the cross? It really does not seem like he wants to go to the cross. But he puts love for others above what he wants, right? This is the model we have in Jesus. This is what we have in Paul. And there are reasons that are given for that. Um, This is the life we're called to. Now, with that, Oh, there's one final thing I was going to say. I can't remember what it was. I don't know. I had it like three seconds before I said that. I I thought I might come back. It didn't. We'll just conclude with love each other, right? (laughs) Oh, I used to be. Um... I'm sure I'll remember about it as soon as we leave here. <laughs> anyway, uh, for now, yeah, let's love one another. Put that high on your decision-making priority list. That's going to drive me crazy. All right, <laughs> let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we thank you for, for your love for us. We thank you for calling us into a life with you, calling us to spread the, the good news of Jesus to everyone. Help us to meet people where they are, that we would not be a stumbling block to anyone because of the freedom that we have in Christ, but help us to meet people where they are, that we can... Uh, share the good news of Jesus in a way that they too can hear it, can understand it. Lord, by your spirit can be changed by it. We pray this all in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. We forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. I did remember it was the meeting people where they are. (laughs) Um.